0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We have a really interesting reading today, and one that's quite well known, and there's some really interesting interactions going on here. So today we're going to look at John chapter 18, verses 33 to 37. So as always, we're going to read the text, and then we want to do a deep dive into it. What does it mean on the literal sense? So here's the reading. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Jesus replied, Do you ask this of your own accord, or have others spoken to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? It is your own people and the chief priests who have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, Mine is not a kingdom of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my men would have fought to prevent my being surrendered to the Jews. But, my kingdom is not of this kind, so you are a king. then said Pilate. It is you who say it, answered Jesus, Yes, I am a king. I was born for this. I came into the world for this to bear witness to the truth, and all who are on the side of truth listen to my voice. So that's a really interesting reading today, and we want to start by thinking about the context so. Obviously this is Jesus' trial on the morning of Good Friday. The Jewish leaders have brought Jesus to Pilate, and the Jewish leaders are hoping that Pilate will sentence him to death. That's their plan. So what we're going to see here today is the beginning of the trial before Pilate. The trial before Pilate, particularly in John's Gospel, is quite extended, so we just have the beginning of it today. Just prior to what we have today, Pilate has asked the Jewish leaders, what charge do you bring against this man? And they answered Pilate by saying, We found this man perverting our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. So, if you want to hear that previous section where they first bring him to Pilate and the Jewish leaders say some stuff to Pilate, you can hear that as a bonus episode of the podcast. It's never read as part of the normal lectionary cycle, but you can get access to that previous um, exegesis through the Patreon page, and the link for that is in the episode description. Now, it's worth pointing out that the other Gospels tell us a little bit more about various things that happen in this time period. So, according to Matthew's Gospel, around about this point, at some point early on in the trial, Pilate's wife sends Pilate a message while he's sitting on the judgment seat, and the message from Pilate's wife says, "'Have nothing to do with that righteous man, "'for I have suffered much over him today in a dream.'" So that's a really interesting aspect of this too. So uh, from Matthew's gospel, we learn that already, even at the start of the trial, Pilate doesn't really want to have to deal with this problem because his wife has uh, apparently seen Jesus in a dream in some way. So that's in Matthew chapter 27. So what we have here today is a part of the Passion narrative that is actually read as a small chunk in the lectionary. Most of the Passion narrative is just read as one big section on Good Friday, but we have it as a smaller chunk today, which gives gives us a chance to break it down as we normally do on the podcast. So we're starting at verse 33. Now if you go to Mass today, the lectionary reading actually starts at 33b, so it starts at the second half. So the lectionary just starts like this, are you the King of the Jews? And so it's probably important that we back up and include the first half of the verse, which says this Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus. So Pilate enters the praetorium, that's kind of his own residence when he's in Judea. Most of the time, as we've talked about in the bonus episodes, Pilate doesn't live in Jerusalem most of the time, he's just there for important feasts. But this praetorium is probably quite a fancy palace. And so, Pilate goes back in there and he calls Jesus. So, he actually calls in Jesus, a criminal, into this private discussion, into the praetorium. So, he basically wants to get Jesus away from the noisy crowd who are outside making demands. He wants a chance to interview Jesus privately. So, we're going to see here a private conversation between Pilate, who is the ruler of uh, this part of the known world, and Jesus. It's a fascinating conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Now, many skeptical scholars have felt that this particular conversation in the Gospel of John could not have possibly happened. They think that John has made up this conversation, particularly because they'll say things like, well, Pilate would never speak to a common criminal privately. And also, one particular claim they make is that Pilate would have spoken Latin, so he wouldn't have even been able to talk to jesus jesus probably couldn't speak latin jesus would have spoken aramaic and therefore pilate and jesus would not have been able to communicate that's a common claim that's made about this by skeptical scholars but i think there's some reasonable solutions here firstly it's not just in the gospel of john that Pilate talks to jesus it's in all four gospels he has some conversations with jesus so clearly they're able to communicate it's reasonable to assume that Pilate was probably able to speak aramaic if he's been assigned to this part of the Roman Empire, then he probably needs to be able to speak Aramaic in order to talk to the local Jewish leaders. And even if he couldn't speak Aramaic, certainly he would have interpreters who could translate from Aramaic to Latin. So there's plenty of good solutions uh, to that charge. Also there's another aspect to this. Pilate here is quite indecisive, and that does seem to match the picture that history paints of Pilate. We know that he was quite an indecisive. He was certainly aggressive, according to history, but he was also quite indecisive, and we do see elements of that showing up here. So, Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, by this point, the Jewish leaders have accused Jesus of being Christ a king. That's what they called him earlier on, Christ a King. Now, Pilate probably doesn't know much about the word Christ, which means Messiah, and he doesn't care about that particular title, but he is interested in this title, King. Pilate would be concerned if someone else was claiming to be king over the Jews, because Pilate and the uh, the Roman Empire is really king over the Jews. So to have someone else claiming to be king over the Jews, that would be concerning for Pilate. Now, Herod's family sometimes claim the title King of the Jews, but even Herod's family is under the control of the Romans, so they're not a threat to the Romans, Herod's family. But this man Jesus now comes along, and if he's claiming to be King of the Jews, Pilate's probably thinking to himself, well, he could get quite a following if he claims to be King of the Jews. He's probably actually dealt with several uh, rebels like this in the past. So he wants to make sure that this man Jesus doesn't get a following, And therefore, Pilate probably has realized this man, if he's claiming to be king of the Jews, he needs to be stopped. That's probably one of the elements that's going on here. The emperor has supreme political power, and he doesn't want to be threatened by someone else claiming to be king of the Jews. Verse 34, Jesus replied, Do you ask this of your own accord, or have others spoken to you about me? It's a bit of a weird phrase, and it seems to mean something like this. Did you work that work out that this is one of my titles yourself or did you get this information from someone else so that seems to be what jesus is saying and he's kind of questioning pilot and you'll see him doing this all throughout the trials earlier on when he had the trials before the sanhedrin he put the questions back on them he basically said why do you strike me what have i said wrong so jesus is not afraid to ask questions in these discussions and we're going to see him continually question pilot as the trial goes on that was actually a common Uh, Tactic that Jewish rabbis would use. Verse 35, Pilate says, Am I a Jew? It is your own people and the chief priests who have handed you over to me. So Pilate here basically says to Jesus, I know nothing about you. It is your own leaders who have accused you. That's sort of what he's saying. And in a sense, he's just like, look, I don't really care about you that much. It's your own leaders have handed you over to me. We need to get to the bottom of whatever the problem is. And then Pilate asks him this question, what have you done? So this is the question to Jesus, what have you done? Now, at this point, no clear specific charges have been brought forward from the Jewish leaders. They have said a few vague things, but they haven't given specifics. And so Pilate now wants to drill down on the specifics. Jesus, what have you done? So that he can then go from there. Pilate wants details from Jesus. Jesus doesn't give him details, though. He doesn't answer the question directly. Maybe because there isn't really anything that Jesus is guilty of, and that's certainly true. So maybe Jesus feels like it's not a question that's worth answering because there's nothing that's really made him worthy of being in this position. But he's going to use this, as we'll see, as an opportunity to try and evangelize Pilate, certainly to proclaim uh, his mission to Pilate. Verse 36 Jesus says, Mine is not a kingdom of this world. A better translation there might be, My kingdom is not of this world. Now, we need to be careful here. When Jesus says this, he doesn't say, my kingdom is not in the world. He doesn't say that. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And a, bit, uh, a good translation of that would be from. My kingdom is not from this world. In other words, Jesus' kingdom, its its origin is not from the world. It's from somewhere else. When we pray the Our Father, we say, by kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So, we're actually acknowledging that God's will is done in heaven. So, God's kingdom exists in heaven and we want it on earth. So when we pray, thy kingdom come on earth, we're actually asking for God's kingdom to come to earth. And that's a similar concept to what Jesus is saying here. There is a real kingdom and its origin is in heaven. There is no strict separation for Christians between spiritual activity and And worldly activity. Often Christians can fall into this temptation of clearly labeling things as sacred and profane, but really, according to the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, every area of life is where the Gospel belongs. So you've probably heard this phrase Christians are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's actually very accurate theologically, particularly in the Gospel of John. And Jesus here says, My kingdom is not from this world. So he's not denying that he has a kingdom, but he's telling Pilate, first of all, the origin of my kingdom is not earthly. And many church fathers talked about analogies like this. They said that Christians, although uh, they're connected to heaven, we're still called to be active in this world and the kingdom needs to be brought from heaven to earth. So just keep that background in mind as we go. So Jesus now says, if my kingdom were of this world, my men would have fought to prevent my being surrendered to the Jews but my kingdom is not of this kind. So why does Jesus say this here? Why does Jesus even need to say, if my kingdom were of this world, my men would have fought? He seems to be wanting Pilate to understand that although he is a king, he's not a political earthly kind of king that Pilate normally deals with. So he wants to clarify the nature of his kingship is probably not what Pilate is thinking. So Jesus is saying something like this. I have not come to bring a political threat to you. Otherwise, there would have been riots when I was arrested. So he's trying to give evidence to Pilate of the fact that he's not a political ruler. Now, in fact, if you remember what happened in the garden when Jesus was arrested, Peter did try to react that way. He cut off the high priest's servant's ear, but then Jesus stopped him. That was in chapter 18. Jesus stopped Peter from taking uh, aggressive action. Now, at the time of Jesus, there probably were many zealots and other people amongst the Jewish community who did want to start political revolutions against the Romans, and probably many of them were arrested by Pilate. So, Pilate has probably dealt with uh, political revolutionaries amongst the Jews before. Jesus wants to distinguish himself from them. Jesus, although he's saying, yes, I am a king, I'm not... Uh, Claiming to be a political ruler in the sense that you're thinking of This is actually the mistake that other people made about Jesus earlier in his ministry Because people have already tried to make Jesus king In chapter 6 and in chapter 12 people try to make Jesus king But at those times they understand Jesus to be a political messiah They misunderstand the nature of Jesus kingship So Jesus here separates himself from that kind of kingship He's not a political king in that sense Jesus says in verse 37, my kingdom is not of this kind. And then Pilate says, so you are a king then. So this is Pilate's next question. So you are a king. Now, Jesus has basically already confirmed this because he's been talking about my kingdom. So he has already implied that he's a king. But now Pilate needs direct confirmation because if Jesus says, yes, I'm a king, then Pilate can charge him with claiming to be king of the Jews. So Pilate says to him, so you are a king then. Jesus' answer is, it is you who say it, or we can translate this, you say that I am a king. Now, it's a bit of a weird phrase, and some have taken this to mean that Jesus is not confirming or denying whether he's a king, and he's kind of putting it back on Pilate. and that's certainly one way of interpreting it. However, I think that given what Jesus says next, it does seem like he's confirming that he's a king. So, perhaps a way of thinking about this phrase, you say that I'm a king, maybe it means something like this. You have said it correctly. So maybe that's a good way of thinking about what Jesus says here. And then the very next thing Jesus says is this. Yes, I am a king. I was born for this. So he, he confirms it directly. Another translation there would be, for this I was born. This is interesting. So if someone ever asks you, what was Jesus' purpose? What was the whole point of Jesus? Well, according to this verse... Jesus' purpose for being born was to be a king, to be king of a kingdom. Jesus' whole purpose from the Father, his mission, is to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth, to make sure that God's will is done on earth. That is Jesus' main mission. Jesus here directly lays claim to the title of king. He says, Yes, I am a king. Now, he doesn't say, I'm king of the Jews. He doesn't exactly go for that title, although he is certainly that. But what the point he's making at the moment is that he's king of the kingdom of God. The Gospels have been making clear all throughout that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And certainly the whole passion narrative is really depicting Jesus crowning as king. If you look at John chapter 12, verse 12, it actually talks about this specifically. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross, that is the moment of his crowning as king. We don't often think about this, but it's it's useful to keep in mind. And then after his ascension, his dominion extends over the whole earth through the church. So if you've never been exposed to this idea of uh, Jesus being king, there's a really excellent book, which is well worth reading, which is called The Crucified King uh, by Treat. That's the author's name. So The Crucified King, it's a really, really excellent book if you're at all interested in uh, this idea of Jesus' kingship and what it means to say that he is the king of the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on, he says, I came into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. Now, we should keep in mind here, Jesus has just said one reason why he came into the world, which was, I I came to be a king. And now he gives a second reason, which is to bear witness to the truth. So obviously, these two are pretty tied together. Truth has been a key theme in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And truth actually comes up quite a few times. Truth basically means God's will. That's what truth is, God's will. And that matches well with what Jesus has just been saying, because he has been saying that he has come to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Well, really, that's the same as bearing witness to the truth. He's come to reveal what God's will is. Therefore, the kingdom of God is where the truth is proclaimed. In other words, the kingdom of God is where God's will is proclaimed and followed. So uh, hopefully that helps you make sense of what the truth is. It's God's will. Jesus goes on, and all who are on the side of truth, listen to my voice. Or you can translate this, everyone who is of my truth, hears my voice. This is another key theme in the Gospel of John. Those who listen to Jesus will hear his voice. This is something that comes up a few times. So in other words, those who follow the truth, those who follow God's will, will listen to Jesus' commandments and follow them. Jesus is using his opportunity here before Pilate to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to him. It's pretty bold. He's talking to the ruler of that part of the Roman Empire. Now, here's a really nice quote from the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture for the Gospel of John about what exactly does truth mean. To belong to the truth implies that one does not belong to this world. Jesus speaks the truth from God, and those who receive and yield to his revelation become children of the Father, and so enter the communion of the kingdom. Whoever belongs to God hears the words of God from chapter 8 of John. Consequently, the members of Jesus' kingdom must listen to his voice as sheep listen to the shepherd, chapter 10, and live as Jesus did, faithfully witnessing to the truth and obeying the Father's will, activities both driven by love. So I think that's a really nice quote there summarizing uh, Jesus, what it means to say Jesus has come to bring the truth. Now, we're going to finish with verse 38. Our lectionary reading actually finishes with verse verse 37. It doesn't give us verse 38, but I think it's important to include this verse because it sort of finishes off this part of the, the conversation. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, What is truth? Now, this phrase has been taken different ways. What is truth? You've probably heard it talked about in sermons and things. In context, Pilate is probably saying something like this. Truth is not a concept I'm familiar with, as in he actually doesn't know what truth is. What's truth? It's not a concept he understands. Because it wasn't really part of the Roman religious system. They did worship gods, but and so worship was part of their system, but not truth. Truth was not really part of the Roman religion. In other words, they didn't really have this concept of following God's ultimate will. That wasn't really part of their thinking. Now, alternatively, it could be quite a cynical response, and a lot of scholars have taken it this way, which might be trying to tell us that uh, Pilate is quite disinterested in truth. So he's being quite cynical, along the lines of, what is truth? As in, he just doesn't care. So if that's the right interpretation, then Pilate is really a good model of our society today. He just doesn't care about truth. And the irony here is that while Pilate sees truth as abstraction something that doesn't really make sense he's actually staring truth in the face at this very moment and in fact later on the the gospel will progress throughout the Roman world the truth will go all throughout throughout the Roman world and that's going to result in the downfall of the Roman Empire and the rise of a Christian civilization in its place that's basically what happens in history as people come to know the truth the gospel message Uh, The Roman civilization falls at the same time. So although Pilate rejects truth here, eventually truth will win the day with the Romans. It's an interesting perspective. And probably John, the author here, is highlighting Pilate's response because he wants to sort of make him representative of all humanity who rejects Jesus' testimony to the truth. And therefore, Pilate is really a good representative of the world at large who rejects Jesus and therefore lives in darkness. Now, according to the other Gospels, uh, Pilate asks Jesus at this point, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But then Jesus doesn't give any answer to those specific charges. And so the other Gospels tell us that about this point, Pilate marvels at him. He actually gets quite um, amazed by Jesus' uh, refusal to respond to the charges. And I think we can say that at this point, Pilate probably decides that Jesus is a religious fanatic, But he's satisfied that actually he's not really a political threat. He's not aggressive. He's not making any political claims, at least not any sort of aggressive military ones. So, Pilate, it seems, decides that Jesus is not really a threat to him. So, that's the end of our text today. And you can hear the rest of the trial before Pilate as bonus episodes of the podcast. So, if you want to hear these next sections of Pilate, ...the trial before Pilate, you can get access to that through the Patreon page. The link for that is in the episode description. So we'll finish with a few paragraphs from the Catechism... ...and then a, a quote to summarise uh, what this passage means for us today. So paragraph 549 is about the signs of the Kingdom of God. By freeing some individuals from the earthly evils of hunger, injustice, illness and death... ...Jesus performed messianic signs... Nevertheless, he did not come to abolish all evils here below, but to free men from the greatest slavery sin, which thwarts them in their vocation as God's sons, and causes all forms of human bondage. This is a really interesting paragraph from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's sort of got political implications because that line of the Catechism where it says Jesus did not come to abolish all evils here below, it actually references Jesus' comment here, my kingdom is not of this world. So the connection the Catechism wants us to make is Jesus did not come to solve all political problems and he's not going to abolish all of those. That's interesting. We should keep that in mind. But the Catechism goes on to say he has come to deal with sin, which is the root of all of those problems. Paragraph 600. This is in the discussion about what happened towards the end of Jesus' life. To God, all moments of time are present in their immediacy. When, therefore, he establishes his eternal plan of predestination, he includes in it each person's free response to his grace. In this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place for the sake of accomplishing his plan of salvation god permitted the acts that flowed from their blindness so there the catechism quotes uh, quotes from the book of acts which talks about how pontius pilate was actually predestined to sentence jesus to death and the catechism makes the point that in order for God to accomplish his plan of salvation, God didn't cause Pilate uh, to uh, condemn Jesus, but he allowed it to happen. He allowed Pilate to be stubborn and blind. Paragraph 217 is about truth. God is truthful when he reveals himself. The teaching that comes from God is true instruction. When he sends his son into the world, it will be to bear witness to the truth. Paragraph 559 is about how Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus conquers the daughter of Zion, a figure of his church, neither by ruse nor by violence, but by the humility that bears witness to the truth. And then paragraph 2471, this is quite a practical one. This is in the section about you shall not bear false witness. So this paragraph tells us that Christians need to tell the truth. And here's what it says. Before Pilate, Christ proclaims, that he has come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The Christian is not to be ashamed then of testifying to our Lord. In situations that require witness to the faith, the Christian must profess it without equivocation. After the example of St. Paul before his judges, we must keep a clear conscience towards God and towards men. So just as Jesus was willing to testify the truth about the kingdom of God, the Catechism says as Christians, we need to be able to do that in an uncompromising way, just as Jesus did. So let's finish today. This is a quote from the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. This particular reading we've heard today is only read once every three years, which is on the Feast of Christ the King in year B, which is probably when you're listening to this episode. So this quote, I think, is really nice from the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. It brings together what the text is saying and also the practical application for us. The Church proclaims this Gospel message in the liturgy of Christ the King, the last Sunday in ordinary time. As the incarnate Son of God, who rose from the dead and sits at the Father's right hand, Jesus has all power in heaven and on earth. As the victorious Son of Man, His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. Jesus exercises His kingly power by bearing witness to the truth in love. He does so by giving his life on the cross and through the kingly power of truth and love in his cross, he has conquered the world. Jesus incorporates his disciples into his victory over the world and its wicked ways and he continues to exercise his kingly rule in the world through his members. Christ's kingship is manifested in Christians who live as he did. They bear faithful witness to the truth with great love. The only way that we can bear Faithful, loving witness in the world is through His power working in us and His power comes to us through our communion with Him. If we allow God to impress His truth and love on our hearts through practices of holy living, prayer and the sacraments, He will transform our lives so that we can be instruments of Christ the King in the world. As we do so, the Spirit will prove the world wrong and the victory of God's kingdom over the world's injustice Aggression and thirst for dominating power will become manifest. So that's a good spot to finish today. I hope you've learned something new. Please continue to tell other people about the podcast. An independent ministry like this can only grow when the listeners like you tell other other people about it. Thanks once again, and we'll continue to look at the Gospels in the coming days.